doing a, a series right now just called Faith Simple, and we're just trying to distill down uh, to some of its more simple components uh, those things that the Bible talks about that pertain to our faith. And it seemed like a good idea on Mother's Day to uh, talk about love made simple, to just sort of simplify this grand concept that the Bible seems to be very interested in and try to distill it down to what it means for us here on earth today, now. Uh, What is love? Where does it come from? Uh, What is God saying to us in this passage and elsewhere in his word? And to do this, I thought we would use uh, a passage that may at first seem a little bit uh, convoluted, but yet will get us exactly to the point of what love is in its simplest terms. And so I want to take us to a letter written by the Apostle John. This is the first letter that we have record of that he wrote, so we call it First John. There are two other uh, smaller letters that he wrote. We call them Second and Third John. Uh, but this is the, the largest and the first of the letters that we have from the Apostle John. Um, he was one of the twelve who hung out with Jesus on this earth. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of John. He was considered in many respects uh, Jesus' closest friend while he was on this earth. And John, uh, you know, like all the apostles, well, 11 of them anyway, uh, after the resurrection, they became pastors and they led these young growing churches through some grave persecutions. And uh, John was the only one who lived to a ripe old age. The other 10 of those original 12 uh, died uh, as martyrs for their faith. And so John uh, was sort of the the one remaining link to Jesus in his old age. And so when he wrote a letter, churches tended to pay great attention to what he said. And you'll see as, as we sort of go through this, he actually is reiterating something that he heard from Jesus. We'll, we'll talk about that at the end of, this, of the message. But 1 John chapter 4, I want us to focus on verses 7 through 21 as we take up this idea of love and what it means. John leads us into this idea this way. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe 
the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is, perf- is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I have another passage printed there from the Gospel of John, same author. Uh, I'm going to save that till the end of our, our time, and I'm just going to go back. We're going to revisit that once we're done. But uh, love, it's a funny little thing. People sing about it. People write about it. People blog about it. Um, and I, I think of, I think of on this day, my own mom. And I think of what I put her through as a teenager. Um, it's difficult for me to talk about that because I was not a very respectful son to her in those high school years. Um, I was terrible, quite frankly. And the, the one good thing that I, that I, you know, that those years did for my mother is they compelled her more deeply into prayer. And if one compels one's mother into deeper prayer because of one's behavior, one ends up being a pastor someday. See, God answers prayer, and it's a cruel, sick way of, of answering the prayer, but I guess I got what I deserved, right? Now I have to deal with all of you and your behavior. Um, She was consistent, consistently loving. She was a rock in my life. Um, Had to have thought at one point that I was a complete loss. Maybe not complete, but would have been tempting. And yet, she persevered. She loved well over time through every indication that I was headed in some other direction. And, you know, what do I want to say? I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't like joining a biker gang or something. I was just rude, like punishingly rude to her. And she forgave and she loved, 
and she persisted, and she prayed, and here we are. And so it's not a strange lead-in to talk about the Father's love to use as an example a mother's love. Uh, But I want us to talk about that love, being loved well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that show up in this passage? And, you know, it's tempting to, to sort of reverse or change the order of the points that I have here. And I, I wanted to. I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, knowing the love of God and then growing in the love of God and then showing the love of God, right? John doesn't start there. He says, beloved, love one another. In other words, go, love Take a step. Act in love. Start there. And so we're going to start where John starts, this call to show the Father's love to others. Beloved, love one another. Show love to others. That's where we begin to assimilate this idea of love in our own lives. When it is shown to us and when we are able to show love to to others. We're to show love, show the Father's love to others in the way in which we live. Our lifestyle should be a demonstration of God's love to the people around us. We are, in fact, called to live out the nature of God. God is love. We are to live that out in real time. Um, We're to live out his nature, and we are to live out his grace. The first thing John reminds us of is that we are saved by the blood of Christ. We are brought into God's family by the actions of someone else. We're in a position that we do not deserve to be in. That's where love puts us in a place we do not deserve to be. I do not deserve my mother's love. Um, I enjoy it, but I did not earn it. Uh, That's not the way love works. Um, Some of you may have had a mother that required you to earn her love. Uh, You can talk to your counselor about that because you're going to need to, right? Uh, That's a difficult thing to overcome when you've been taught as a child that love has to be earned. You don't get love unless you produce. So love cannot be earned. It's something we enjoy, and it's a call to live out love, to express God's nature and God's grace in the ways in which we treat other people. Um, This is probably the worst sermon illustration I could ever give, but my wife and I are are now addicted to The Walking Dead. All right? It's terrible. 
It's ter- it's really sick and wrong. I, should I not have confessed your sin in front of everyone? I should have just said I was I'm addicted. I am addicted to The Walking Dead. No one else that I know of. She just happens to sit next to me and watch it religiously. Anyway, because she loves me. Yes. Um, what what a bizarre so this is a this is a tv series about the zombie apocalypse people are turning into zombies everywhere and it's extremely violent and we really shouldn't be watching it and yet we do anyway and everyone who watches it probably feels the same way like i shouldn't be watching but i can't stop this is terrible it's awesome i yeah whatever all right the reason I bring it up, it's probably lost the whole sermon right there, it's whatever. Um, it, is a, it is a profound study in human nature. And everything in this survival, apocalyptic, post-whatever, post-civilized reality is kill or be killed. And it, and all, it all devolves into that. And then you find yourself driving down 1604 and you want to live out the walking dead ethic on your fellow drivers. Yeah, whatever. You get it, right? Um, grace is the polar, absolute, total opposite of that instinct, that survival, take care of yourself, preserve yourself motive. It is the complete opposite. It exists at the opposite pole from our human instinct to punish, to um, survive, to self-preserve. Grace, what Jesus did for us, was the opposite of self-preservation. It was the opposite of pride. It was the opposite of selfishness. It was everything we needed. And so we are called to show that in the way we live, and we're called to show that in the way we relate to the people around us, that we relate to them as children of God, as those who have dignity and honor and respect before the eyes of God. We want to relate to others in such a way that we express to them what God has shown to us. Forgiveness, grace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Well, you get the idea. To express what God has shown to us and to give others a glimpse of who God is by the way we relate to them. Uh, John actually says this uh, in verse 12. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Um, That we allow others to see who God is. Sorry. Did I get the verse wrong? No, there it is. I was reading the wrong verse. No one has ever seen God, John says. No one's ever seen God. He's not uh, physical in that sense. But we see him, the point John's making, we see him through each other. 
when we relate to other people the way God has related to us, they get a glimpse of who God is, of how He loves. So we're to show the love of the Father to the people around us. That's where John actually starts. He says, put this into practice. Why would he tell us that? Here's my thought. If I tell you, go out and treat other people the way Jesus has treated you, how well will you do that? Maybe for a day? For Mother's Day, you might be able to get through Mother's Day, right? Um, But then there's Monday, and then there's Tuesday, and then there's my humanity and my selfishness and my pride and everything else that makes me uh, me, and that comes back to bear on how I treat you. And we will fail, we will fall, we will trip, stumble, and make fools of ourselves as we try to love other people the way Christ has loved us. And so, if we have that before us as the standard, it will take us back to the gospel. And we'll, we'll talk about that again in a second. But we're called to show the Father's love because that's the right thing to do. We also will run into the truth that we cannot do this by ourselves. We will mess it up. And that brings us back to the cross to receive grace again. And the more we receive, the better capable we are of giving. And so we're called to show the Father's love and we're called to know the Father's love. John shifts here in the passage to sort of drive in the the pilings that will secure our understanding of the love of God. He's fixing us in something true and unchanging. And he says, listen to the Spirit. God, we know these things. We have this assurance because God has deposited His Spirit inside of us to attest to what is true, that God loves us. Listen to the Spirit that has come into your life through the gift of the Son it will confirm your connection to the Father. The fact that God put His Spirit within us is our point of confirmation that this relationship is real. He's taken up residence in our hearts. This confirms our connection to the Father, and the Spirit will also affirm our standing with the Son The Spirit works in this way to anchor us in the love of God the Father and to compel us forward into the love of the Son, both for our own sake and the sake of how we relate to others. The Spirit works in harmony with the other two persons of the Trinity to bring us closer to the heart of God. And so, If we're going to know the Father's love, we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit within us, and we have to exercise our faith. There was another apostle who said, or another uh, author of the New Testament, who said, faith without works is dead. 
This is no good if we don't put it into practice. If we just talk about it or think about it and never act on it, it's no good. It's not worth anything. And so John reiterates that idea as he calls us to exercise our faith, that is to make Christ known in our lives. He says to confess Christ, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Verse 15 I can't read the little numbers. This is terrible. Sorry. This is what old looks like. Do you have a pair of these yet? Okay, good. All right. I feel better. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Our lives should be an active confession of who Christ is. That We trust him and what he has done on our behalf. As we exercise our our faith, we make Christ known and we return to his grace. I cannot emphasize this enough. And I know, if you've been hanging around this place for, for too long, I sound like a broken record, at least I hope I do. That you and I need the grace of God above all else. We need His grace. We don't have what it takes to live out this kind of love on our own. We will revert to walking dead survivalism if we're left to ourselves. That's the ugly truth. The glorious truth is that God's grace is always there. And it is so deep, we'll never get to the bottom of it. We'll never empty that well. And so it's there. We just have to go back and back and back. And every time we draw out of it and drink it in, we are grown. We'll take up that theme next. That as we show the Father's love and we know more deeply the Father's love, then we are grown in the Father's love, or called to grow more and more in the Father's love. I love the ways that John puts this. First of all, that we grow in confidence as we grow in grace. That returning to the grace of God builds confidence within us. The confidence that only comes by faith. We learn through time through experience, through our own failings, that God has our back. That He never leaves us nor forsakes us, as He said to Joshua. Um, That God is there for us. That His love supersedes all of our problems. We grow in this confidence as we realize He has our back and that we have nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out fear. When I was probably four, I was absolutely convinced there was a witch that lived in our backyard. And to get from the living room to my bedroom, you had to walk by this huge glass wall in the the family room. You know what room that is? The room you're never allowed to go in. 
unless it's Christmas Day. That room had like a huge thing of glass, dark pine trees with big leafy beds underneath them. I was absolutely sure she was there. And if that fear got too big, I couldn't, most nights, I would just sprint by the gap. Right? I would duck down and I would sprint by the gap. But if I was too afraid, I would go find mom. And she would walk me calmly by the windows. Perfect love casts out fear. I had nothing to be afraid of if she was there. Our relationship with God is the same way. He's with us. And that presence disperses our fears. It takes them away. It evaporates them. Such that we realize with his presence we really have nothing to fear. We grow in confidence and we grow in kindness. As we gain better footing in the grace of God, our ability to relate to others well grows with that confidence. We grow in kindness. John reminds us that it started with him. God started this. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him in every single sense of the word. Love compelled him to create the universe, to create humankind. Love compelled him to redeem us from our own sin. Love is what compels God to everything that he does because that's who he is. And as we grow in his love, we're reminded he is the source. He's the source of love. And as it all started with him, it all comes down to us. We are the point, and this is where it gets terrifying, that God proves his love to the world. Um, I question his sanity there, right? And I, I don't mean that literally, but why? Why would he choose us? to demonstrate who He is to this world. Here it is. Because when, when we look at ourselves and we realize that we are forgiven and that we are loved, it says there's hope. If He can do that for me, He can do that for anyone. If He can change any one of us, He can change all of us. And so we're left in this place where we're called to show his love, know his love, and grow in his love. Let me take you back to the words that Jesus said on this very subject. John records them in the 17th chapter of his gospel Uh, Interestingly, he probably wrote the letter before he wrote the gospel. So he's not quoting from his own letter at this point. The letter is his recollection of 
Christ's teaching to him, and he would later go back and write down the record of his account of his, his knowledge, his friendship with Christ. So this is from the letter of John, chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking to his uh, disciples, to the twelve, and he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another.